All right. Well, if you haven't guessed it, today's fruit of the spirit that we're talking about is joy. <laughs> and what a better way to start out with than dad jokes. Uh, that was great. I think Kevin lost. So good job, Monica. There you go. It means you're coming back next week. That's awesome. No. <clears throat> well, we're talking about joy today. And, and I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we all love joy. We want to be filled with joy. We want to live a life that it's filled with joy. I mean, why would we want to choose a life filled with misery when we can choose a life that's filled with joy? I mean, isn't achieving the truly joyful life kind of what we all hope for? When I was a younger kid from the ages of 10 to 13, I wanted to achieve that truly joyful life. So I thought in order to achieve that, I needed to become an orthodontist. <laughs> Which, that doesn't sound like the type of job that would get you the joyful life. But when I was younger, I, I had braces. So when I was 10, I went to the orthodontist's office. And uh, I remember looking around the office and seeing all these pictures. There were pictures of uh, my orthodontist parasailing. There were scuba diving pictures. There were skydiving pictures. There were pictures of their, their joyful family and their joyful dogs and their big joyful house. So young Michael thought, man, I want to achieve this joyful life. I want to be happy for the rest of my life. So I got to become an orthodontist if I want to be able to do these things. So that's what I, that's what I set out for doing. For three years, I was going to be an orthodontist until someone took me aside and explained what orthodontists do, and then I was out because I did not want to look in mouths all day. Um, if you're an orthodontist, God bless you. Um, you made my teeth straight. But <laughs> desiring joy, to be joyful, is something that we all can relate to. I mean, we all want joy, the ultimate form of happiness. And a lot of us try to find joy in different things or, or in different sources. I mean, that's why we work so hard. That's why we study so hard, so that the provisions that we can achieve could bring us some joy. That's why most of us are here in the Bay Area right now. I mean, not only is it the land of good weather and good culture, but there's, there's mountains and there's oceans, and you can go to both of them in the same day. But the Bay Area also has, as we know, some of the most wealthy and most successful people in it. And it's, in the, it's almost in the air that if we just work hard enough, that if we say the right thing, that if we meet the right people, that, that somehow we can just become successful too. It's in the air. And deep down inside of us, we all feel perhaps that if we're able to achieve that success, there's a hope that in some way it's gonna complete us. It's gonna fulfill us. It's going to lead us to the truly joyful life. Now, when I was thinking about joy, I know joy, and I know, know when we experience joy, but I didn't know what the definition really was. So I looked it up, and the dictionary definition of joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. And most of us hope that if we just surround ourselves with, with things that will be exceptionally good or satisfying, or we build our lives, or we try to achieve things that are exceptionally good or satisfying, then somehow maybe we can live the truly joyful life. And that's exactly what King Solomon thought. Now, King Solomon, he was the son of King David, and he was known as one of the, the wisest king. He was known as the most successful, the wealthiest king that Israel and all of Israel throughout the history has ever seen. And, and King Solomon spent most of his life searching for this fulfillment, searching for this truly joyful life through success and external provisions. 
King Solomon wrote, I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Jeez, Solomon. <laughs> so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. You see, Solomon, he knew that there was a time limit to the things that would give him true meaning on the things that would provide him with the truly joyful life. So Solomon said, it's all meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I mean, why seek the truly joyful life when the source that you're seeking has a time limit, when it's just going to run out? Now, I remember when I was younger and I shelved or I put away my young little dreams of becoming an orthodontist. <laughs> I know, so it wasn't sad, actually. Um, <clears throat> many, many, many years later, I found myself uh, here at Menlo Church. And I started uh, working with student ministry, and I was really, really excited to be here. And I heard of a ministry called Sanctuary. And I don't know if you know about this, but Sanctuary uh, and Young Adult Ministry at Menlo Church has been around for, for years and years and years and years and years and years. And, and I heard about the legacy and, and about it, and I attended one of the first weeks I was there, and I loved it. I loved the community. I loved the, um, the, the people there. I loved the friends that I knew I was going to make. I loved the worship. I loved the speaking. I loved everything about it. And I remember I went home and actually prayed. Um, I prayed. I said, God, I don't know if this is going to be possible I know I'm just the assistant director of middle school ministries, but someday I want to lead sanctuary. And you say, that's right. <clears throat> that's, I pay them. <laughs> no. <clears throat> but I was saying that because mo I, I had very little student ministry uh, experience. I don't know why they hired me, but most of my experience was with young adult ministries. It was with young adult churches. My internships at seminary with, were with young adults, and I just really wanted that. So I was praying. I said, God, if you give me this position, I know that I will be fulfilled. Like I would, my life would be fulfilled. Everything that I have been working for, I would have reached it. I thought like, man, if I were just to lead this community, then I would have the truly joyful life. Amen. Four years later, um, my, uh, the campus pastor came up to me and said, Michael, I want you to lead this community. I said, okay, it's happening. And, and it was great. I was happy. It was fun. But there was something in my heart that was missing. And having nothing to do with this community, because I said, I love this community, I felt like that, that true, true, deep joy in my heart 
the thing that I hoped that if I finally had this position, that if I finally achieved it, then I would live a joyful life. But it wasn't there. And I kept searching for it, but that, that truly joyful life wasn't there. And the people that were close to me, um, they, they know that I called this kind of a, a dark night of my soul. It was challenging. It was difficult. I didn't know what was happening. And I don't know if you've uh, experienced something like that before. To spend a good part of your life building up to one point only to find out that that point didn't fill you with the joy that you thought it had promised. And let's say it does. Let's say you're in the position or you're where you wanted to go and you do have joy. Guess what? Jobs have a time limit. Everything in this world has a time limit. And when I started putting that layer on it too, I was like, oh my goodness, everything is meaningless. Why am I even here? What is life about? I was like Solomon. I'm like, everything is meaningless. But here's the thing about Solomon. Here's what's interesting about him. After he reached the dark night of his soul, after he reached the, the pit or the depths of his meaninglessness, he wrote this. So... I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. God is the giver of joy. He's the source. And, and he's, he's not a source that promises to fill. He's a source that actually fills. And he's not a source that, that has an end, but he is the source that has no end. If you want to live a truly joyful life, then you have to pause for a moment and ask yourself, what's my source? Now, there was another man... Uh, much later after Solomon, named Peter. And Peter and a few apostles, they actually lived their lives not to seek fulfillment in external provisions or, or in success. They actually, seeked, uh, they actually lived their life to seek something different. <clears throat> Last week, we celebrated Pentecost. It's in the, in the church calendar. And, and that day was when Peter and those apostles, they went to this upper room, <clears throat> And in this upper room, the Holy Spirit said, filled the room, and it filled them. And what happened after that? They left. They went out. Peter and the apostles went out to the streets, and they started talking about the name of Jesus to everyone. They started saying that salvation is only through Jesus. And they started going up to people who were sick, going up to people who, who were hurt, and they started healing them in the name of Jesus. Everything was about Jesus. And, and while many people were following Jesus, many people were getting healed by the name of Jesus, what happened was the Jewish leaders got furious. The Bible says that they were outraged, they were mad, and it even says at a point that they were jealous of them. So this is what they did. The Jewish leaders gathered up Peter and the apostles, and they threw Peter and the apostles in front of what's called the Sanhedrin. And now the Sanhedrin is, is like a council, like the supreme council of Jews. It's like the, the tribunal of Jews led by the high priest. And here's Peter and the apostles thrown in front of the Sanhedrin. They stumble they get up 
and the Sanhedrin were looking at him, and they're furious with him. They're upset with him. They're upset with all of them. And they start saying, how dare you teach the name of Jesus? How dare you teach Jesus? We thought that we were over this Jesus situation when we crucified him. They were outraged. They were mad. So they started deciding, what are we going to do with these guys? We can't let this continue. They, they whispered, should we kill them? <clears throat> should we kill them? And then one guy said, we shouldn't kill them. We should just flog them. So that's, that's what they did. They flogged Peter and the apostles. And what that meant was they, they severely beat Peter and the apostles. They, they whipped Peter and the apostles in front of them. And then when they were done whipping them, they threw them out and they said, don't ever teach the name of Jesus again. Don't even say it. So here's Peter and the apostles. They had been beaten. They're bloody. They stumble out and they start walking, blood dripping. And what's fascinating is what Acts says next. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I just have to pause for a second whenever I read that. They were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is <clears throat> the Messiah. They abandoned everything for the only one who could give them everything, at least everything that mattered. And because of that, nothing could take away their joy because Jesus, their source, was stronger and could last longer than anything that could come their way. And the reality of that strength and that source that Jesus was with them and for them, it gave them joy. They rejoiced because of it, regardless of the suffering. And later Peter would write, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You see, the disciples knew that, that they could only take one thing from this life to the next life. The disciples knew that, that the only source investment that, that was truly eternal was Jesus. And that filled them with a joy that could survive any circumstance. And that's why James wrote, uh, concerning suffering, to count it all joy. To count it all joy. And now I know that, that suffering, that's a really, really hard topic. And I know if you are in here right now and you're suffering and you're enduring suffering right now and you're saying, man, I, I actually can't count it all joy right now. I want to say that that's okay. That's okay because it's okay to not be okay. But for some of us, I think we actually need to hear this encouragement and to embody what it means to count it all joy. And why? Because at the end of the day, Jesus wins. Not our circumstances, 
not the things that we can control, not the Silicon Valley dream. Nope. Only Jesus. I mean, the truly joyful life would have been defeated if Jesus was defeated on the cross, but Jesus defeated the cross. And three days later, he rose again. Jesus defeated death itself. And the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy. And he extends an invitation that whosoever would follow him will be eternal with him, will live an eternal life. You will be filled with joy for all eternity. And that, I don't know about you, but that's something to be joyful about. The prophet Nehemiah, he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Death has been defeated. And although the in-between can be tough, we can count it all joy. Why? Because we know how it ends. Jesus wins. That's our hope. That's our truth. That's the truth. And while the different positions and the different possessions that we work for may give us joy, their joy has a time limit, but not Jesus's. That's why when we follow Jesus, we're able to live the truly joyful life and to count it all joy. Later, the Apostle Paul, he was also thrown into prison. <clears throat> and it was from prison that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians, uh, to a church that he was, that he was overseeing and helping. And, and that letter was turned into a book which was uh, put in the Bible. And, and that letter is known as the book of joy to many. And it's from the cold prison floor that, that, that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. What does a truly joyful life look like to you? What would make you happy? What would make you fulfilled, complete, overjoyed? Are you living it? And if so, how long is it going to last? You can measure your joy by your source. And while there are many things that, that can bring us joy, our joy will only last as long as our source does. So what's your source? Or who's your source? Jesus, one time, he was walking through a large crowd. And when he was walking through a large cloud, a crowd, <clears throat> a blind man, he called out to Jesus and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And while Jesus knew exactly what the blind man was asking for, Jesus still said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? When I was in the dark night of my soul um, when, uh, a while ago here at Menlo Church, when I realized that the position that I'd always wanted didn't fill me with the joy that I, that I thought it would, I felt like everything was meaningless. And so uh, for me, whenever I'm like really not having a good time, I'll, I'll go for a hike. That's kind of what I do. I'll tell someone I'm going for a hike so that I don't die and they can find my body. But I went, <coughs> true story, but I, I went on a hike with Jesus and I'm talking with him. I'm just sharing my heart with him. 
And I was t- as I was talking, as I was just saying, man, Jesus, this life that I thought that I could live, this joyful life that I thought I could re- achieve, I'm not getting it. I'm not living it. And so I was talking with Jesus. And when I was just pouring my heart out to him, I felt, I mean, not literally, but it's like I felt like a, a Jesus tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, Michael, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Solomon, he had everything, but it wasn't enough. The apostles barely had anything, yet they had enough. Solomon lacked joy. The apostles were filled with joy. And why? Because of their source. And just like the blind men said, I want to see, I found myself saying the same thing. Jesus, I want to see that you're enough. And I want to rejoice because of that. I want to see and to know the truly joyful life. And here's the honest thing. It didn't happen overnight. But the more I realized that he is my source, and the more I started going to him to fill me as my source, the more the truly joyful life started to grow in me. A writer by the name of Drummond once said, joy is one of the ripest fruits of the Christian life. And like all fruits, it must be grown. In Sanctuary, that's the invitation that I want to extend to you tonight. To let joy the fruit of the Spirit grow in you as we shift our focus to the only source who is able to make it grow and able to make it last. Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, it's so interesting that we read from New Testament writers that say to count it all joy, to rejoice, always rejoice, when there are so many things in this life that steal our joy. There's so many reasons why we shouldn't be joyful. God, I know that Almost every person here right now, if I were sitting down listening to this message, I would say, okay, that's great, but what about this situation? What about this thing that I'm facing right now? What about this huge wall that I can't go over, I can't go around, and I'm trying to go through, and I can't seem to get through it? What about that, Jesus? How can I count this all joy? God, yes, you came to save me, and one day I'll probably be in eternity with you, but what about right now? Jesus, I pray that tonight, as we enter into this time of worship, it can be like Moses. When Moses went to a cave because he saw this this, this burning bush that wasn't burning, that wasn't being consumed, but it was on fire, and you said, Moses, take your sandals off, for you are standing on holy ground. God, I pray that tonight we can realize that we are standing on holy ground. It says where two or three gather, you are here. You're here right now, Jesus. You're listening to our hearts. You know our thoughts. Count it all joy. Help us.
Show us what that means. Show us how to count it all joy. Show us that you are our source. Show us that you love us. Show us that you care, God, so that we can one day sing, I got that joy down in my heart. And it's here to stay. In your name we pray.